This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Theodoro Stefan, affectionately known as Theo, is the creator and owner of one of California's most important olive oil producers, Global Gardens. Just celebrating her 22nd harvest, Theo is a grower and entrepreneur whose presence both online and off soars as mightily as the olive trees she has planted, and there are thousands of them. Recently named the California olive oil guru by the Los Angeles Times, Theo runs a farm stand in aptly named Los Olivos in Santa Barbara County, where she writes cookbooks, teaches, and educates the public about best agricultural practices. Theo grew up in Ohio, spoke Greek, ate Spanakopita, and decided she would one day move to California. And she did. Coming up, you'll hear what it takes to produce 2,000 gallons of olive oil each year, what it's like to fulfill a dream of having a farm stand in California after a successful urban advertising career in the Midwest, how it is possible to deep fry using olive oil if the olive oil is of great quality with a high smoking point, and how a childhood taste test determined the rest of her life. Theo's story is both inspiring and delicious. In the vast culinary landscape we share, we are all carving out a place for ourselves. Each of us, in our own way, is a one-woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. Theo, it is such a thrill to have you here. I believe you're our first guest to come from California just to be with me in my kitchen. I call you Theo. Most of the world calls you Theo, but your real name is Theodora Stefan. Very beautiful. And thanks for making this happen, Roseanne. It's exciting because you are, to me, one of the most fascinating women in the entrepreneurial culinary world. Recently, the LA Times called you the California olive oil guru. So we certainly want to unpack all of that. But you've been an entrepreneur since you're six years old. I have. <laughs> and you had it's a crazy. business going door to door selling American seeds. I did. And then you went on to have a jewelry business. And that was short-lived. It wasn't food. You can't eat jewelry. <laughs> And recycling, does that get a little closer to food? It does. Okay. And then you had a very important uh, advertising company. So so let's start at the beginning of your culinary career, your entrepreneurial spirit, and when you really made a commitment to food in a big way, food writ large. For me, food was always a, a sensation. And my Aunt Lou started me off very early with olive oil introducing me with a Wonder Bread bun off the top <laughs> of her refrigerator because I liked her cooking more than I liked my mother's. So she plopped <laughs> down the Wonder Bread bun and a can of uh, olive oil with Greek letters on it and had me taste the Wonder Bread bun with the olive oil. And then she had me taste uh, Crisco oil, which is what my mother used. So she quickly identified for me uh, the differences of fats and how significant they were in the finished flavor of cooking. That's extraordinary. And you were very young. And you I could was tell the difference old. immediately. 
I was eight years old. Oh, yes, absolutely. Have you ever tasted Crisco on a Wonder Bread bun? I mean, it's, it's, it's <laughs> no, not I very haven't. good. Oh, don't. Ew. Don't try it. That's so wonderful. And you're first-generation Greek. Your parents right. were from Greece and Macedonia. Right. And so where was this grandmother from? So actually, she was my Aunt Lou. Oh, your Aunt Lou. And, Sorry. Um, mm-hmm. And she was uh, also Greek and from the same uh, northern area that my mother that my mother's from. I'm just thinking what a profound impression that must have made when you were young uh, and good for her for doing that. Yeah, it was kind of a secret because it was just, uh, you know, the, the families were together and there were so many people around. I don't know why I just was one-on-one with her. And I said, you know, why is your cooking better than my mom's? <laughs> Did and, your mother actually know that you felt that way? Oh, or? God, no. Mother was a wonderful baker and she was a hard worker and I would never have insulted her. So it was just kind of a secret between my aunt and me. And then she plopped down those two bowls of of oil and it was just a remarkable awakening and it was a it was a secret well you know i wanted to start with your career but now that we're already with your aunt lou <laughs> and your grandmother and food and kitchens actually let's start with your childhood then um where did you grow up and who was in the kitchen with you dayton ohio and everyone was in the kitchen because the, <laughs> the dining room table was in the kitchen. And uh, it was an inner city, um, very, very modest home and childhood. And um, uh, mother, uh, it was it was the 60s. I was born in 1960 and processed foods were... Uh, the rage, uh, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> and consequently, my mother was enamored by them. And she, I believe, uh, wanted to Americanize her dinners, uh, much to my chagrin on many occasions. And I was, uh, I was always a foodie and I was a complainer and, um, <laughs> I was difficult for my mother and I feel badly about that. And in later years, I, I made it up to her, I think. So <laughs> I'm sure that's true. So what, what were some of the smells and things you were tasting, uh, when you were young? Because it was a, a traditional family. You sat down every night, we had did. dinner together, big right. Sunday dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, the most delightful part of it all was being Greek. We were either going to parties or having them every weekend. So I really lived for the weekend food-wise. During the week, it was, you know, banquet pot pies and, and the processed food things. But on the weekends, everything was homemade. And my mother was a wonderful baker. And she made filo from scratch. Really? And spanakopita and tiropita. I've never watched anyone do that. Oh, the memory of watching her fold out on the entire kitchen table this pastry and folding it and buttering it and folding it again and buttering it and layering it and the smells and the conversations she and I would have. And I have two older sisters, so I did have a lot of one-on-one time with my mother and my grandmother lived with us as well. And we only spoke Greek in the house when I was young until my grandmother passed. And so the the smells and the the baking were always the thrill to me as were those those parties and you know and it was it was a time of cocktails and cigarettes and just <laughs> i and i loved it all i loved all the smells and oh i'm sitting here with a big smile on my face it just sounds so idyllic and do you have memories of having a very happy childhood yes yeah i was a melting pot neighborhood i was always a curious one and never afraid to 
ask for what I wanted. I guess that's why going door to door and selling American seeds. I mean, when I look back on it, I think, oh my God, were people feeling sorry for for me, or were they buying these seeds because they wanted them so or needed them, <laughs> or you know? But I made a lot of money, uh, much to my surprise and the surprise <laughs> and probably embarrassment of my my mom. You know, I used to they were all one dollar bills, and I would roll them up in increments of $10 with a rubber band. And then she gave me a three pound coffee can so that I could easily count out the wads of, or the rolls of tens. And, um, I became quite the financier. (laughs) Well, I can see that could be really very addictive, but before we leave your childhood kitchen and you mentioned spanakopita and homemade phyllo, what were some of the other traditional Greek dishes or other things that you ate on these weekends? Well, Again, things that my mother made would be more on the, you know, the baklava, the um, Greek wedding cookies, uh, kuramiedes, um, Greek walnut cake, karidopita, which is uh, something that I have now converted to uh, olive oil in, instead of butter, all my mom's and grandmother's recipes, and the, um, you know, the other women, you know, my aunts and the friends of our families were the ones who made the main courses. But my mother really stuck to the baking aspect of things. Was there one outstanding main course, uh, savory, that you love so much and maybe even still make this day? Oh, always lamb. Lamb of any kind. <laughs> yeah. And is there one outstanding recipe? I love lamb, too. Something that I do and love that is so simple but so flavorful is deboning a leg of lamb and then stuffing it with feta cheese, spinach, and red peppers. And it's a delightful Ooh, combination of flavors. And you roll it up and tie it? Yes. Uh, any seasoning on the outside? And is there a lot of garlic involved? Yes. Or rosemary? <laughs> <laughs> yes, both. And oh. it's in my cookbook. Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely we'll talk about your cookbooks and everything else that you've done. But thank you for the um, beautiful picture and smells and taste of your childhood kitchen. So here you are, this extraordinarily entrepreneurial kid, the American seeds and then the jewelry and the recycling. But then you became a very important graphic designer and started your own major graphic design company and work it was called a Real Art That's correct. Graphics Group. Real Art Design Group. Design Group, mm-hmm. okay. And I read that you were working for Disney and some of the biggest companies, Theo, and you taught at university. And the reason I'm mentioning all of this is because uh, there's so much interest today in being a foodie in the food world, uh, in making a mark. And I really think that women are much more entrepreneurial than than men. And men <laughs> become chefs and they do their thing. But women are creative, crazy creative. And that uh, to me, is the embodiment of you. So when did the food thing happen? And how did it manifest as olive oil? And how did you become the <laughs> California olive oil guru? Well, I think the food thing was always there. When I had the design firm, I had a beautiful kitchen that I designed within the firm. And cooking for me has always been therapeutic. So even if the day ends or ended at 8, 9, 10, there was always a time uh, that I created space for myself to make something healthy and delicious. And I enjoyed sharing that with my staff and having good, healthy food there because there were many all-nighters in that industry. And instead of calling for, you know, Domino's pizza delivery, it's like, why not make pizza? So, <laughs> so that whole aspect of health and goodness and flavor for me was, was always one. And I, 
at certain times in, in my life, I've gotten pushback on the healthy word. And um, we have a mutual friend, Betty Fussell, who always says, don't say healthy, you know. And that's, really? How come? What's and the it's, problem and, with healthy? And it's like, I don't know, you know, because for me, food is life. And it's it's life giving and it's energizing and you know sugar can just knock me down in a minute and you know I'm fascinated now with acidity in food and there's always something to learn and always a new flavor to taste and that's why you know being with you or people who understand that it, it's um it's always enlightening and I love sharing flavors with people. So whether it's flavors from a color in a catalog that we were creating or the, the food that, that we were eating, it was often inspiring to the design of and the outcome of things. And that really was the uh, jumping off point for your amazing creativity. I mean, you invented the word, I think, Kalimediterranean? Kalimediterranean. Kalimediterranean. That was in the shower one day. You know, things happen in the shower. <laughs> How true. So Calitranian. So that was a blend of California cuisine and Mediterranean food. Right. Yes. I mean, I was reflecting on on really my happiness at being in California and, and creating a new business in, in California and um, thinking about my Mediterranean heritage and the Mediterranean diet. And and the word just came to me and I was, you know, dripping out of the shower. I went out to Google it and it didn't exist. And I immediately uh, got the .com name and, and had a cafe for a short time called the Calitranian Cafe, which was a bucket list thing for me. Well, this is really um, where your food career starts. So when we come back, we want to hear about the cafe, your Global Gardens, which is your primary business right, right now. It is the most important or the first organic right. olive oil company in Central California. That's correct. And we'll talk about your cookbooks and all the other amazing things that you are doing. <laughs> Thank you. Here's a cooking tip to share. This from my guest, Theo Steffen. So typically, people always want to know what the ratio is of olive oil to butter. So with one cup of butter, I start with a half a cup of olive oil. And you do need to know your dough. And you can always add, but you can't take away. So mostly it's half a half cup ratio to, to one cup. Uh, frequently, it, it does go up to 60 to 75%. But start with a half a cup. From Theo's kitchen to yours, give it a try and pass it along. And now you have my heart in the Theo, tell me about the cafe to start. That was a very gutsy thing to do. You were not crazy. really a chef. You had never done anything like this before. So how did you start? The cafe was a bucket list thing. I guess I always had a fantasy about feeding people and I still have a, a, a fan. I, I love to enlighten people on flavor and fresh flavors. And it, it, it was something that happened quite as a mistake, Roseanne, to be honest. I was, <laughs> uh, I was struggling making the rent. I had a store in um, wine country, in the center of wine country, and wine country exploded in Santa Barbara with the uh, movie Sideways, and my location became literally more of a side street instead of a uh, an easy to find place, and the rent kept going up, and so I became really disillusioned 
with um, you know how I was going to sustain myself and my two daughters as a single mother. And so I literally found a place in Los Alamos that had been a cafe. It was closed for two years. It was totally decrepit and disgusting and needed to be <laughs> painted and and um, who better than you freshened up, right? <laughs> At the same time, and I'm not particularly religious, but I sat on the edge of my bed one day and really had a breakdown because I had been offered a job in my old industry as a senior vice president of an international design company and the money and the international travel, but it would take me away from my children. So I had a lot of conflicts and I literally sat on the edge of my bed and had um, the you know, primary breakdown of, of my life. And I asked for a sign and I, it's so corny. It's so corny. But I love true these stories. What that, happened? Um, I had a dream that night that my business was at my home and where it is now. And I woke up and it was one of those misty mornings. And, um, you know, my hair was just like wild. I felt like Esmeralda or something. And, <laughs> and I was walking around this misty California morning, picturing what had happened in my dream. And I took the girls to school and I called the county permitting department and they said, oh, yes, your place is zoned as uh, agricultural commercial. You can have a farm stand. You can bottle vinegars and do dry spice blends. And it was like everything that I was making, I could do legitimately from my property. You can run an Internet business. You can have a after school and summer day camp program, blah, 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 blah. And I was just in shock that I had asked for this sign and it, it really did feel heaven sent to me. I mean, it it was a, a big turning point in my life um, spiritually. I, I know that's corny, but it's true. It's beautiful. So it wasn't really just about olive oil, was it? It was really about creating a whole new lifestyle, lifestyle. for yourself and your daughters. And I do want to mention, I think another remarkably gutsy thing you did is that as a single Mom, you adopted two girls, sisters from Nepal when they were very young. I was married when I adopted the girls. You were married. Okay. Um, still gutsy. Right. <laughs> still remarkable. Um, such a beautiful story. So then you planted 2,000 olive oil trees and decided to have the first organic olive oil company in California? In Santa Barbara. In Santa Barbara. And you had the cafe, you planted the olive oil trees. And the, the trees it's called came, Global Gardens. The trees came first. The trees came in the mid-90s. So I had the business and I had had the retail business in, Los, in downtown Los Olivos for 10 years, almost 10 years. And that rent had just exponentially kept going up and it was um, quickly becoming unprofitable and unsustainable for the girls and me. So the trees were planted in uh, the mid-90s. And what kind of trees are they? And how many different kinds of olive oils do you produce? Oh, that's a great question. The Koroneki trees we literally brought in from the island of Crete in 1997. And Missions and Manzanillas are California indigenous varietals. So those were a natural. And as time has gone on, I have planted olive groves for other customers or clients in the area that we're harvesting now and focusing more on Italian varietals and varietals that 
don't attract pests, um, you're not getting intensely into botanical things or uh, biological things that are happening with with climate change, literally. Uh, and some of the indigenous varietals aren't doing so well. And when you introduce new plant material, I have found that um, whether it's exciting to the soil and certainly creating um, um, different terroirs, from the the soil, the environment, the climate is is really exciting and always a, a learning experience for me. It's so exciting, and I know that you are certified uh, olive oil sommelier, and I definitely want to talk more about that. It's so fascinating to me. You started with just several products when you had this crazy, beautiful fantasy. So you were going to plant olive trees, or you did plant them. You were going to make olive oil. But you had other products as well. Right. Yes. So, and I also had the design firm at the time um, of the planting. So mid-90s, go to California. I acquired a lot of work with Universal Studios. So I um, literally ran out of gas turning into where I, the town where I live now in Los Olivos. I just thought I was cool. I had to rent cool convertibles that I couldn't drive in Ohio in the middle of winter and um, became quite like the um, dramatic person who I might have admired in Beverly Hills with the scarf and the big sunglasses and, <laughs> I can and just that. had this persona. I just created like this, this alter, this, this other person. But what's so exciting for people driving to hear, around the countryside, Theo, especially women, is that this is possible, mm-hmm. that it really is possible to take a risk and, and live your dreams. And it doesn't always work out exactly. And you have to say, no, you run out bit. of gas. You have sometimes. to go sideways right. sometimes. <laughs> okay. So you had the big sunglasses and hats and hair and <laughs> All this. and But what were the other uh, products? You also started doing some very exciting vinegars, and and then you did all the packaging for your products. You know, I fell in love with vinegar, and vinegar is not a big part of the of the Greek diet at all. When you make a Greek salad, you just use olive oil. Acidity, um, certainly lemon is a, is a big part of, of um, you know, squeezing lemon on everything from lamb to fish, of course, and uh, proteins more, but certainly not salads. And so vinegar was introduced to me visiting Northern California, and that's where I was inspired to plant olives and be the first um, in Santa Barbara County to have an olive oil production, was visiting Northern California on on vacation, on long weekends, really getting to know the state, um, having moved from the Midwest, from Dayton, Ohio. California was so exciting to me, and I, I always wanted to be a Californian. When I was a little girl and got into trouble, I would stomp around the house and say, I'm going to California, and my mother would say, hit me on top of the head and say, what do you know? You know, California, you know, it's like, shut up, you know, you don't know anything about California. And I didn't. Um, I don't know if it was the Beach Boys or what. But um, so so looking at what was happening in Northern California, you know, if you look historically, Northern California was 20 years ahead of Southern California and the Central Coast, where I am now in Wine, wine production, wine, mm-hmm. wine production, and they were also twenty years ahead. And Nan McAvoy was the pioneer of olive oil in Northern California, and I was thrilled to see what was happening and, and taste all those flavors. And you know, even the wine and olive oil pairing for me was something that wasn't happening. It's still not happening. It's something that that I love and and am developing and considering acidity as the vinegar, you know, olive oil and vinegar 
people kind of take that for granted. Yes. You know, but but what is that and how many different flavors can be pulled from from vinegars and fruits and all these things that are growing in California? It's just it's there's an infinite possibility of flavor combination. So so the vinegars uh, quickly became a love of mine. When I purchased the ranch, there were hundreds of raspberry canes growing. And the first year I had the ranch, uh, I picked the raspberries, and which isn't a really, a ple- it sounds romantic, but it's not very pleasant because of the thorns. And, and I sold them to a local grocery store and I made about $40. And <laughs> The next year I bought, I went to Costco and bought a freezer and I froze and I didn't know what I was going to do with these raspberries. And I froze every one of them because I thought I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to do something with these raspberries. And then, um, I met a vinegar maker in Northern California and, um, was really, and it really, it was her idea to, um, she said, well, why don't you take my vinegar and, and use your fruit and, and, and make, and do these flavors. This was, um. Yeah, the mid '90s and and fruit vinegars were something not really very at all. new. That's yes, right, right. Very exciting. I mean, you were so ahead of the curve in so many things. So you have this big uh, olive oil company grow many groves, many trees. Um, oh, it's not big at all. It's very boutique. But it's two thousand trees, <laughs> well, <laughs> and you make two thousand gallons of olive oil. That sounds, sounds like a it lot. Sounds to like me. a lot, you know. But but Theo, you also have a club where people can every month get a selection of your olive oils and vinegars, which is very exciting. You also have a farm stand, so if anyone is traveling in that area, they can go literally and meet you because you are always there selling olive oil, doing olive oil tastings, vinegars, and some it's of your other products. An experience, yeah. And then uh, mail order business. What am I missing? Are there other aspects of global gardens? No, you know what? Something that I'm starting to do is is get out, and I'm doing a class soon for uh, the Julia Child Foundation hosts an event uh, annually now in Santa Barbara, and so I'll be doing a class there on olive oil. Actually, um, the 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 fresh teaching people the difference between fresh and rancid oils because people don't. People don't know the difference, and when they taste the difference, I, I feel like I'm duty bound, uh, being a sommelier now, to teach people the difference between real and fake. As we know, there are so many fake things out there these days. Well, we had that experience last night. Actually, we had uh, dinner, and you felt that the olive oil was uh, a little bit rancid. It was old. And mm-hmm. I am very, very. Uh, aware of certain qualities in wine. So mm-hmm. if someone even opens a bottle of wine and it's corked, I'll know it before it's even near my nose. Right. But I actually, and I do think I have a pretty well-developed palate after, you know, 40 years. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting last night to have you point out to me that the olive oil was maybe either old or a little bit rancid because I actually hadn't picked up that. I was hoping I wasn't being a snob. But. Not at all. No, it was actually fascinating to watch you in process. So you started with seven products, and now you have about 50. So just tell me some of the best sellers or what you are in love with the most. Oh, I'm in love with the olive oil and the vinegars. I mean, those are my those are my primary babies. And personally, I love creating the pairings that I then develop recipes for my club members and putting flavors together and having the options that we have in California of the herbs. And I do have five uh, herb blends that I put together and I just thrill 
when I have customers say, oh, you know, we can't live without that Greek blend or the Italian blend or and I can't live without them either. I, can't, <laughs> I, I can't. And, you know, the foundation of my cooking and my recipes is I, I have spent time and, you know, going from being a graphic designer to food, there have been so many synergies there because I can visualize, say, a poster design done, and I can also taste it. It's it's and and I thought everyone could do this until I started talking to people about it. But I I know what things are going to taste like before I taste them, and I know what things are going to look like before I draw them or create them. So. Mm. It's it's a gift, and I love it, and I love sharing it, and I love that enlightenment. I always say I'm going to put a webcam at the tasting bar at in Los Olivos because I love that look on people's faces or their expressions. And oh, that would be especially so um, children when families come in. We're we're family friendly, and we are in wine country, so you know a lot of parents end up dragging their kids around to wineries and when they come in they're like you mean we can taste too and 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 uh, and, and I, I've actually heard parents say oh you won't like it and I'm like no no they will and they do and they'll say oh mom can we can we get this or you know the strawberry vinegar or and it's because it's fresh Roseanne and people and and we have raspberries growing just right there at the farm stand and Meyer and, lemons and strawberries and Meyer lemons. Right. And so, and herbs. And, um, so, so the, the thrill of bringing what people see at the store in front of their, in, in front of their face and, and describing the differences to them as we did over dinner. It's, um, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to me. And this will be your 22nd harvest. That is so I'm exciting. getting old. <laughs> Wow, Theo. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about your cookbooks, your legacy recipe, and what's meaningful to you now. If you're wondering about my beautiful theme music, it's called The Garden, written and performed by award-winning singer-songwriter Audrey Appleby. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at roseannegold.com. Theo, an exciting question for you from my producer <laughs> is, what is your favorite olive and what makes a great olive oil? I have two favorite olives. So we'll start with olive oil. And personally, the Koroneki is my favorite. Uh, Perhaps uh, my Greek heritage comes into play, but it's a very unique olive. It's tiny. You know, olive oil primarily comes from the seed of the fruit. So it's a tiny olive, almost like a niçoise. But for me, the, the, the finishes and the flavor that it imparts from my land and I love tasting the olive oils. I learned how to make olive oil on the island of Crete. So when you taste the Koroneki from Crete, it tastes completely different than the Koroneki from California. And being the first to have a commercial Koroneki olive grove in the state of California is, you know, being being the first is um, not as important to me as is being the best. introducing the flavor, <laughs> introducing that new flavor. And the flavor of the Koroneki olive oil, and we call it our backyard olive oil, and it literally is growing right behind the farm stand. 
And then we have 500, uh, 500 other trees um, planted about 13 miles from the farm stand that, that we harvest for that production as well. It's very unique. It has a sagey, um, but, but it's pleasing to everyone. And it's right in the middle of the tasting bar, so it's not too fruity. It's not too peppery, but it's, um, it's so pleasant. So that is my favorite olive oil. So olive. your favorite olive and favorite olive oil. But my favorite olive olive is actually a table olive that I grow, and it's a Cetignola. And I have 170 gallons on brine right now that will be released in May. And it's a huge olive, not uh, produced at all commercially in the United States. I have the only production of Cetignola. And it's a we call it a big fat green olive in the jar, and this is the first year where where I will have a a significant amount for me anyway. Uh, you know, this is not a, again a big production. One hundred and sixty gallons might sound like a lot, and it is for me. And I'm thrilled that the trees um, and they are growing right in front of the farm stand as well. So, uh, as as a flavor, that olive is like a steak. And people who Ooh. taste it, and because it's organic and we haven't processed it with lye, as most olives are at the grocery store, you get all of the midtones and, and flavors of that fruit. And it is um, as, as big as a small pear and um, certainly dynamic. And, and it, it does. It, it tastes like meat and uh, vegans, vegetarian, everybody loves those. I can listen to you talk about this all day <laughs> long. <laughs> Again, I know uh, the words that are used to describe wine, but but not olive oil. So all of our olive oil is organic. Is all it's organically grown. It's organically not all grown. certified. Some mm-hmm. of it's certified, but it's all produced the same way. Thank These, you for that distinction. Yes. Uh, is it all extra virgin? And um, again, the difference between sort of regular olive oil and extra virgin, I know it does have to do with acidity, but can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. I mean, all of our olive oils have a 400 degree smoke point and you hear on all these cooking shows, don't cook with olive oil. Well, that's because many of the grocery store oils are old or they are adulterated with other products. So they'll have a lower smoke point. So, I mean, you go to Greece, Italy, everything's fried with olive oil. Deep frying is 360. So consequently, you can deep fry with with my olive oils, and it does impart the flavor of that terroir, which is so important to me in pairings with with recipes and 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 food. So extra virginity is. Um, I mean, there's books written on extra virginity. There's wonderful um, information out there, and once people start to explore it at the, and, and taste the difference, um, you kind of know it when you taste it. Well, this is a great time to actually ask you how someone signs up to be a member of your club. I mean, who would not want to get your olive oils and vinegars and these spice mixtures? And I know you have these delicious almonds as well. So what's the deal? Absolutely. It's globalgardensonline.com. Or come visit the farm stand. I mean, once you taste things, it really, and I, and I love to educate on the different varietals. The club is really fun because you get a different olive oil every season, a different vinegar, a different third item. So we have a seasonal club and then I've added a monthly club that is crazy popular. I didn't realize people wanted a different olive oil every month. And then we have an every other, we have three clubs now. So the bi-monthly, the monthly and the quarterly. Oh, sounds divine. And you also have written two cookbooks. One is called Opa. Is that the most <laughs> recent? Opa. How do you say Opa. that? Am I saying that right? Opa. Opa. <laughs> and what does Opa mean? It just means we're having a good time. <laughs> and 
we are. And, and tell me about that cookbook. What is it? I've seen it, but how do you describe what's in there and some of the recipes? It's called Opa, Healthy Greek Cookbook. And I wrote it with Christina Xenos, who's a dear Greek girlfriend of mine. And uh, we had six weeks to write it for the publisher, which Ooh. was a ridiculous amount of time. But we both had uh, recipes of our, our mothers and grandmothers. And I am very proud of the dessert chapter in particular, because oh, you love baking. With I olive oil. do love baking with olive oil. And every time I do, it's an experience of flavor and texture that I and crumb that I just personally have not experienced. And I love, again, it's the introduction and the surprise of the introduction that I like um, in my recipe development that I really enjoy sharing. And the other book is called Olive Oil and Vinegar for Life. I'm, <laughs> I'm down with that. It is. <laughs> and is that where you go into great, great detail about uh, each one of these vinegars and oils? It is. You know, that was my first cookbook, and it was almost um, cathartic for me to to be able to put my love for the learning of how to make olive oil and vinegars into into writing. Beautiful. You know, one of the reasons I said I'm down with that. When I'm asked what my favorite food is, it's very curious. I can't figure this out. Gorgonzola cheese, smoked salmon, <laughs> and good bread dipped in vinaigrette, which is really just olive oil and vinegar, maybe a little garlic. I love this. So there is, I think olive oil and vinegar go back thousands of years. Oh, sure. Right? Theo, speaking of food and olive oil, do you have a legacy recipe? I do. And it's uh, my mother's caridopita recipe, which is a walnut cake, Greek walnut cake, that again, I have converted to an olive oil cake instead of instead of butter. And uh, just lots of ground olive, uh, olives, no, walnuts. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, olives. It's the walnut cake. <laughs> Eggs, sugar or honey? What else is in it? Is there cinnamon? And what makes it so special? All of the above. <laughs> Lemon, grated lemon zest? Everything. All of those. How do you know? I didn't. Um, but the only thing I've ever had of yours was your spanakopita, which is fantastic. So I think you can have two legacy recipes. That would be my second. And really, I've I've told my whole family, all my friends, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, I want spanakopita and it needs to be my recipe. <laughs> and Christina and I have gone back and forth with, you know, who's, and she, and, you know, she's, she recently tasted mine. She said, that's really good, Theo. And I'm like, what? Well, it's funny, you know, that actually gives me another meaning for the idea of what a legacy recipe is. It's not so much about what you want to give to your children or what right. you want them it's to make. It's to what eat. you want to eat right. on your deathbed. So <laughs> I love that. Thank you for that. Um, Theo, you are doing so many things and growing at a rapid pace. And you do have a very spiritual sense about you. You adopted these two gorgeous young women who are growing up beautifully. What's most meaningful to you now? Really finding time to be grateful, you know, and again, that might be corny, but I think that coming into, I'll be 60 this year and you know, really understanding uh, the source of things and where things come from and taking the time to to not only teach 
others, but have the experience for myself. I mean, really, I am living a dream of mine. I mean, it's that little girl who wanted to move to California and having the land that I do and the space that I do. And I love California and I love what I do and transitioning to having more time to teach and and share an understanding of climate change and regenerative agriculture, carbon sequestration, and how all these things go together with our food and our table and our kitchens and our lives and our families and the you know exponential growth of the human population and societies. And it, it just um, taking the time to to really understand it and how I want to share it is really important to me. How wonderful. This has gone very quickly, Theo, it but has. I'm going to ask you one last question, and it's what I ask all my guests. I'm going to ask you some questions now. Okay. No. <laughs> um, what does One Woman Kitchen mean to you? It means sharing. It means savoring, and it means taking the time to enjoy each other and what's real and the deliciousness of, of life and, and food. And it doesn't have to be difficult. You, you know, people are intimidated by cooking and, and frequently they're intimidated when they come to taste olive oils and things that I produce and say, oh, you know, we couldn't join a club because we don't cook that much. And, and then when we talk about it, it's like, well, of course, of course you would. So, you know, for, for a one woman kitchen is, a many woman kitchen and it's a many personed uh, kitchen. Mm, so beautiful. So this starts with Aunt Lou. It does. <laughs> are there oh, one it or started two other with my women, mom for sure. With your mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, are there other women in the industry who have really inspired you? You know, uh, of course. I mean, there, there are many, including you. And um, Julia Child comes to mind first because she was not a trained chef and I'm not a trained chef. And people, you know, people want to call me a chef. And I don't want to take away what chefs have to go through to really be chefs. It's like somebody calling you a doctor when you're not a doctor to me <laughs> because chefs are such fascinating people and they've really earned that that name and that designation. And I'm not a chef at all, but, you know, Julia, you know, you can always put it back together and, you know, it's um, just um, exper her experimentations and her livelihood in the kitchen. And so certainly she was my biggest inspiration. And she would really be inspired by you as well. And I know she would love your olive oils. <laughs> Theo, it's it not butter. Well, you know, um, <laughs> that's a good point. That's actually a very good point. She did love butter, but I'm sure she would also love your, your oil. I wish I would have, could have met her. I never did. Yeah, she would have loved you. Theo, thank you so much for joining me. And thanks to all of you for listening to Theo and me in my kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold. And check out everything I'm up to on my website at rosangold.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.